Well, as we jump into the day's show, uh, I think it's also kind of interesting to think about, uh, you know, we've had years and years and years of welcoming everybody to the show. Uh, True. These 12 years going that this show has been around, and uh, this is one of the last times we get to say, hey, welcome to Passionately Married. Because? Because we are making the transition back to Sexy Marriage Radio like we announced last week. Yeah, I'm and excited that, about it. That transition takes place officially December 4th. Okay, so for Poscat, first Wednesday will be December 6th that it releases? Correct. Okay. All right. Uh, and so shout out to my sister who that's her birthday. So, you know, we're doing that for her birthday. There obviously. you go. But it's, but it's, re- it's recognizing that uh, if you are a follower of the show, which if you're not on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, however you listen, click the button and follow us. And then what happens, all, it'll automatically populate to the new URL that will happen whenever the new changeover happens that week. Because all we're doing is just switching back to Sexy Marriage Radio to refocus on the best sex is happening in the marriage bed. It'll enhance couples' relationships like we've been doing all the way through. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're just going to head back under the old umbrella. And so whenever we make that change, if you are part of the nation, um, all you got to do is just keep tuning in. It'll all... Update for you. The the big hassle, I'll apologize ahead of time. The big hassle is you're going to have to log back in to the website and to the nation's uh, I got to go remember my password or whatever that <laughs> or is. Or click the forgot right, password forgot. button and it'll, it'll update it Come for on, you. Come on, Dr. Allen. But we are switching back to uh, away from passionatelymarried.net and we'll be switching to smr.fm is the okay. URL. Okay. So that's even different from before. You always like to keep things hopping and I new do. and fresh. And so there'll okay. also be new uh, opening music in a couple of weeks Ooh. when we start to, and even uh, Mrs. Allen hasn't even heard this I one I do not yet. know this so, one. Okay. But yeah, so that'll be happening in a couple of weeks. And also right now, while we're here, in the, for those of you in the States, it's Thanksgiving week. Mm. And it's time that we get a chance to be th- just be mindful of what we're thankful for. And mm-hmm. one of the things I'm, I know you and I are both really thankful for is the nation and the support they've had, the interactions they've given to other people that are in the nation and how they constantly are striving to not only improve and enhance their lives and relationships, but also others alongside them. Yeah. If you're new as a listener, the nation, quote unquote, is you. It's all the listeners to Passionately Married Podcast, to Sexy Marriage Radio. It's a community that we have grown to just, well, not grown to love. We've loved him from the beginning, right? This is what we're passionate about and excited about. Um, So thrilled to have you here and we're thankful for you. Absolutely. So we could not be doing this without you guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are incredibly humbled that those of you that have hung with us all this time and those of you that repeatedly find us, uh, we're so grateful that you do. And so... Enjoy the holiday week here in the States. And if you're not listening from the States and it's not Thanksgiving where you live, we'll be thankful. This is a chance to celebrate those around you. It's always a good time to be thankful. (laughs) It's a great way to live. Well, coming up today on the regular version and the extended version, it's Thanksgiving week. Let's give the whole thing to everybody this time. Uh, We're revisiting a conversation that I got to have with Dr. Emily Nagowski. This is the most popular episode we had under the umbrella of Passionately Married. Okay. And she... This was from a year ago almost. Okay. And so she, re, during COVID, uh, she rewrote Come As You Are, which is her one of her books that she's got that's really, really good on just how does sex work and what's going on in your brain. Mm. And so she updated it based on updated science. 
because she is a researcher and very thorough. And so this is one of those episodes that's such a good revisit Mm -hmm. because it's important, I think, that we recognize there are a lot of different aspects that go on uh, that we think, what's broken here? How do I fix this? What's missing? When sometimes what we believe is the best thing you can do is recognize what's really present, what's really going on, and how do I enhance that? We're thinking something's broken and we're looking in the wrong spot, huh? Right. We need yeah. to come at it from a different way, which yep. is what's really going on here. And so her work helps look through that lens. And so that's why we're going there again today. Great. And all that's coming up right after this. This year, I'm thankful for Honey Love because there's nothing worse than suffering from an uncomfortable bra. Honey Love has revolutionized the bra game and they've made shapewear that compresses in all the right spots while keeping the right curves. Honey Love's bras feature supportive bonding that eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. Say goodbye to uncomfortable underwire and bulky fabrics that trap heat. Plus, they're made with fabric that's so soft you won't want to take it off. The holidays can sometimes mean long days. With my go-to bra, I don't have to worry about wearing something uncomfortable all through the season. And their shapewear uses targeted compression technology, so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. Get yourself the gift of comfort. Or get your spouse the gift of comfort. Plus, for this month only, Honey Love is giving up to 60% off site-wide. Visit honeylove.com forward slash passion. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save up to 60% off site-wide at honeylove.com slash passion this month only. Inventory is limited and the sale ends soon, so don't miss their best deals of the year. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. It's time to ditch the underwire for good. Thanks to Honey Love. It's always fun to have a old guest back on the show, which today is one of those days with Emily Nagowski, uh, Doctor Emily Nagowski. Let me let's make it official, and because it's true. I mean, I I walk in the same shoes in the sense of we've earned it, right? We, there's a lot, right. of, there's a lot of a lot of time and energy and money put into uh, getting to those levels, but. Emily's back. Um, she, you were back in 2020, one of the episodes way, way back on when we were talking about Come As You Are, which is your main work that you were known for, kind of came on the scene. And the reason we reached out to you, Emily, is because um, you've been doing some updating. And it's I wanted to get you back on the show so we can talk about that. So welcome back. To- it is so delightful to be back. I rarely get the opportunity to do something a second time. Well, that's just rather unfortunate because there are some things that we want to do multiple times. As I was saying it, I, know, I was see, like, I know, that I, doesn't I, sound great. <laughs> well, I'll go there. That's where mine is. And I, you know, so we'll, we'll get along just fine again, Emily. But, <laughs> but, uh, so there is, uh, with come as you are, it came out, I mean, it, it's been out, it was out for a while. And then 2015, you, it was originally right. published. And yeah. then you just re re-released it or updated it. If like, Mid 2021, am I? Yes. What I did with my pandemic is I rewrote "Come as You Are." Okay. Well, what a great, a great way to, to spend the time. So yeah. So I'm curious, what what was the motivation and the impetus behind uh, the rewrite? There were a couple of reasons. One, of course, is that the science is changing. The science is always changing. Mm-hmm. I'm. It's never going to be fully up to date just because there's science being done right now that mm-hmm. I wish I could integrate into the book. Uh, and also. 
once the book was published, I started traveling all over the country and to different countries also. And hearing what people's questions still were and hearing their stories about what had been helpful for them and what had not been helpful for them. And I learned a lot about how to communicate these big, important, potentially life-changing, potentially marriage-saving ideas Mm -hmm. in a way that is more effective. Like you said, PhD, right? So I learned how to write science. It turns out writing science is not a good way to write like a book that you want human beings to (laughs) read and enjoy. It's fine in the academia world. For the right. most part, but not beyond. I mean, that's that's the role. That's the role. A lot of ways, my wife plays on the show in the sense of, dude, get out of the theory, get out of the academia. You talk got, about people's lives. Talk to me. Talk talk to me like I'm at a fourth grade yeah. level. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I rewrote parts of it that were too deep in the science and okay. not enough, like applicable to people's right. daily lives. Right. Okay. And so what? Is, is there some things that you've seen in, in the seven years of science that have really like, wait, this needs to be noted now because it is an important shift, an important discovery, an important aspect of what's going on and what we now know? Because, again, we're always learning new things. And so about humans and interactions and psyche and everything. So are there some that just yeah. really stand out well? So for the dual control model, should I do a review yeah, listen. Yeah, because I'm. There will be there will be a lot of people that are listening to this that they didn't hear the first one, and I would say oh, go yeah. back in the archives, listen to it. I'll Hello put a link. You. I'll put a link into it. But Emily, uh, we'll get you caught up here too. So, very quickly, the dual control model is uh, a theory about the mechanism of how sex works in our brains. Which is, here's the wacky thing: what if sex works in our brains just like everything else? <laughs> What a wacky idea, which is that it's a a pairing, a couple, it's a dual control model. So there's two parts. There's uh, an excitatory system and an inhibitory system Mm -hmm. or an accelerator and brakes, Mm -hmm. right? So the sexual accelerator notices all the sex-related information that's coming in. So this is everything that you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, and crucially, everything you think, believe, or imagine that your brain codes as being sex-related. And it sends the turn-on signal that a lot of us are familiar with. It's working all the time, including right now. We're talking about sex. It's a little bit Mm sex-related. So there's like a little bit of turn-on signal being sent right now. But fortunately, at the same time, your brakes are there, noticing all the good reasons not to be turned on. Okay. Everything that you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, and crucially think, believe, or imagine – that your brain codes as a potential threat. Okay. And it sends the turn off signal. So the process of becoming aroused is a dual process of turning on the ons, yes, but also turning off the off. Okay. One of the things that we know about the dual control model in the world is that people vary in their sensitivity of their brakes and in the sensitivity of the accelerator. So some people have really sensitive accelerators and very not sensitive brakes. Right. And if you're driving a car that's got a really sensitive accelerator and very not sensitive brakes. Yeah, not a good plan. That, it, it could, it could be a lot of fun under really safe circumstances. <laughs> and also, yeah, those are folks who are most likely to experience... Um, using sex as a maladaptive coping strategy. So if they feel st- 
stress, depressed, anxious, lonely, or repressed rage, they're likely to want to use sex, which is so immediately available to their brain, as a way to downregulate from those uncomfortable states. I feel like that was much too technical. No, no, no. I think, I mean, I would say in, in large part, the, the nation is going to be able to keep up with a lot, because this is a lot Come of the vernacular the regulate. we use on the sense of, we we use different things for different reasons, and some of them aren't, aren't always good. Some of them yeah. can be, some of them we need to purify and make them a little more genuine. Some of them we just need to be more honest. And I, and I love, the thing I love about the dual control model, Emily, is the idea that they're working in tandem, like a synergy in a sense, that they feed off each other, they help each other, uh, they enhance and inhibit each other. You know, there's there's some elegance in this whole thing. And if you're looking at it in this idea of, okay, wait, if I'm way too sensitive on the accelerators, meaning the slightest little thing will steer it, because this is, my belief has been, we have sexualized a lot of things in our lives as humans nowadays that aren't sexual. We've just made them so. And some because it's fun. And some because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a quick release or it's easy anxiety um, regulation yeah. or validation or all of the different psychological terms we could put in here. And, and so it's yeah. just, it's recognizing, okay, that's a component of, of the makeup of people. And then that's going to wreak havoc yeah. on the people they live life with, particularly their spouses. Because mm-hmm. if they're living in a monogamous relationship and they're honoring their, that commitment, then that puts a lot of pressure on the spouse. Yeah. And I really love that if people can recognize individual differences, like my partner has a different sensitivity of break or accelerator than I do, mm-hmm. it helps to normalize the differences in experiences of desire and arousal and like orgasm, right. how readily it happens or whether or not it happens. It turns out folks with really sensitive breaks are the folks who are most likely to struggle with sexual difficulties, whether it's arousal, desire, pleasure, right. orgasm. Right. So it's really helpful to know how people vary. But in the first version of Come As You Are, I have this whole big long thing about gender differences in the ways people learn what counts as sex-related. And uh, in the last five or so years, it's increasingly becoming clear that it's not gender identity, it's not biological sex assigned at birth, it is not sexual orientation, it's really just sensitivity of the accelerator in particular okay. that makes people, for example, potentially more prone to um, kinkiness or paraphilias, as yeah. we might technically call them. Um, and I, so I took out all the gender stuff because it's turning out that it's the dual control model above anything else that's a good predictor. Okay. And that, I think that's fa- I think that's incredibly important because it starts to make it recognizable. On wait, how do we often stereotype or pigeonhole things that aren't necessary, mm-hmm. and that then creates another issue and dynamic we have to face and deal with. And so, the more we can simplify or clean it and get it to where okay, this is what we're really facing. If nothing else, it can empower people to look at it as okay, wait, this is just me. This is humans. This is the the quintessential yeah. human. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with having a really sensitive accelerator or a really sensitive brake or a really not sensitive accelerator or a really not sensitive brake. And most of us are heaped up in the middle, 
being average. And that's great too. It's all normal. It's just recognizing that when people vary from each other, that can be important to recognize. Mm -hmm. If you have one sex partner that you've decided to have sex with for the rest of your life, even in other relationship structures, but I think especially when like you picked a person and this is now your person, like you want to understand them as right. thoroughly as you can in order to be able to work with right. the whatever you have available to you. Yeah. Right. No, I I love it because that's that's kind of the, a different way of framing the idea of being a student of of my system, myself, and my partner. Yes. Of of recognizing and a of your partner. Right. Of recognizing the way they work, the way they what yep. what speaks to them, what doesn't speak to them, what accelerates them, what's what slows them down. Those are all good. Yeah. Good data pieces to understand. And also, I find help, one of the really wonderful things about the dual control model, it helps people not take things personally. Right. Like, when you're in the mood and your partner's not in the mood, you don't have to think, well, there must be something about me that's right. the problem, or must be something about our relationship, or there must be something wrong with my partner. No, <laughs> it could just be stress is yep. just like slamming on this person's brakes and it doesn't matter how much they love you and are attracted to you the fact is their brake is on the floor and they what they need is not to love you more or be more attracted to you right. they need their stress to be relieved right right and that's yeah because this is the the one that keeps jumping up uh, uh, personally in my wife and I's relationship is I love reading so at the end, at the end of the day I'm, I'll, I'll pull out a fiction book and read, but all of my library is electronic. So I read on my phone, right? Oh. And so I don't use actual paper books very, very rarely anymore. And my 17 year old took the Kindle and I don't know where it is now. So <laughs> it's all in the Kindle app on my phone. And there will be times where there could be something that could be sexual heading towards in the, that evening. But if she comes in and I've got my phone and I'm just reading, it's a break for her. And it, because it is so important because it's a disconnect. It's like, oh, you'd rather be doing that. Oh, oh you know, yeah. it's, it's however she interprets it, whether it's this whole I'm just passing the time until you came in here, which I'm not intending it as a break. So now I've got to recognize. All right. Mm -hmm. I got a but dilemma. Her brain sees that phone yep. and is like, that's a wall. I've got a dilemma. She's got a dilemma. How do we yeah. navigate this better? It's kind of and what neither we're of you is wrong. Exactly. Exactly. That's just, just the circumstance and dynamic. Okay. That's a perfect example. Yeah. And that, that's kind of what I was hoping to get clarified. It's just because I think this helps people get a tangible, here we go, this is what we're facing. Right. Exactly. Uh, also, insert here, the first year after bringing a child into your relationship. <laughs> well, you could even add more than the first year. You could go, <laughs> you could go beyond. But case in point, that fits too. Yes. Yeah. That hits the brakes. Um, another thing that changed in the book the desire chapter, I would say, is the is the chapter that changed more than any other chapter, partly because it's so very important and partly because I learned that what people need is different from how I wrote it. Okay. Um, so here's how I talk about it now. The desire chapter is really about responsive desire. So most of us were raised with the idea that desire is spontaneous, that it just kind of appears out of the blue. You're All of a sudden you're like, hey, baby, want to? Right. And that absolutely is a normal and healthy way to experience sexual desire. But also there's another way that's normal and healthy. It's called responsive desire, where instead of just spontaneously out of the blue, 
you have to sort of have a setup. So maybe it's date night and you prepare yourself. You do the sexy grooming and you listen to something sexy in the bathtub. And then you like, you know, trim your ear hair or shave your legs or do whatever it is that is the thing that makes you feel like your body is ready. And you turn off the lights and you have sexy conversation. And that all is giving your brain time to transition out of your daily life into a state of mind where your brakes can let go of the world and your accelerator is free to do its job. That's responsive desire. It Mm -hmm. emerges in response to pleasure. Right. Whereas spontaneous desire emerges in anticipation of pleasure. Good distinction. So... That's not how I wrote it in the first version of Come As You Are, because what the science says is that spontaneous desire emerges in response to low levels of arousal, and responsive desire emerges in response to much higher levels of arousal. Okay. So when I hear the word arousal, I'm hearing what scientists mean, which is increased heart rate. Uh, activation of particular brain systems prioritized over other brain systems. It turns out that is not what most people hear when they hear the word arousal. Right. What they hear <laughs> is genital response. Right. For them, that's what arousal is. And uh, that was an important lesson. I was talking to a couple. They both had PhDs. They both read every word of Come As You Are and understood what I wrote. <laughs> oh, so... It's the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Wife puts the kid to bed, comes down. They're just going to watch TV together for a while. Husband puts his hand right down her pants. And she goes, oh, no, I am not in the mood. And he says, but you will be. Because what he heard when I said arousal first, then desire, is if I just stimulate the genitals, I'm making a hand gesture that I feel really grateful people can't see. (laughs) If I just stimulate the genitals, like that'll get her aroused. Right. And then she'll experience desire. Right. And it's it doesn't matter that the previous six chapters had explained that it's not genital response that matters, it's pleasure that matters, and pleasure depends on context. You have to create a context to allow a sensation to be pleasurable. Um and I was like, okay, no, no, yeah. that is that is not, that's the opposite of what I intended Must clarify. for people to use. And so I changed the language from what the science says, which is arousal first, then desire, and changed it to pleasure first, then desire. That's good. So that people would know that you can't just stuff your hand. Well, I mean, for some people that works great. Just like stuff your hand down your partner's pants right. and they'll be like, oh, right, okay, right. good idea. Right. But for a lot of people... They need to preheat the oven. Yes. Yeah. And it, even, even genitals will not necessarily feel pleasurable when they're stimulated. If it's out of the blue, right. if you're like in the middle of a million other things, if you're just decompressing from the day, right. your genitals are not ready. And that sensation will not feel pleasurable until you create a context that lets your brain interpret that sensation. Right. And, and you even talk about this, and this is what we talked about, I believe, in the very first time we spoke a couple years back on um, the non-concordance or the incongruent right. component that you were discovering too, that the body could respond, but the brain's not into it or the brain could try to be into it, but the body's not responding. And so there's exactly there can be a disconnect. And some of this applies here in that, yeah. well, yeah, there might be something, you know, it, 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 let's go stereotypical for a second. You put 
as a wife, you put your hand down your husband's pants, the penis might get erect, but that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean he's all like, oh yeah, let's go. It could just be. Yeah. It doesn't mean desire. It doesn't right. even mean pleasure. You're right. It's just like, it's a, it's a response in some regards, yeah. but it like, may I not connect also to everything. Never do this, but like <laughs> you could also put a vacuum cleaner right over a penis and like suck all the blood up and get an erection. That doesn't mean you've got pleasure or desire for that. And just to clarify, Any, never do this. Never do yes. that. Okay, let's just say. <laughs> the idea, though, is, I mean, yeah. like penis enlargement tools are often just like vacuum suction pumps. Right. Again, another gesture that I'm glad people can't see. Well, yeah, exactly. But I think everybody's picturing <laughs> it. They know exactly what we're talking about here, oh. Emily. So don't even sweat. So you can get blood flow to go. It's really not about the blood flow. Correct. Pretty much ever. Right. It's about what's going on between the person's ears. Right. And that, so How are, it are, is the accelerator being stimulated and are the brakes, maybe more than the accelerator, are the brakes decompressing? All right. So that's a fantastic update to, to this because I yeah. think that's a great distinction to help people because it is so interesting of how often do we as humans also – um, hear what we want to hear in a lot of ways or hear it mm. just out of context even. Because, again, you even make the comment in the original writing and then in our, we've, in our conversations we've had in the past too of context is king here. It really right? is. It's, it's making it all in the situational component yeah. of it and the moment and to recognize, okay, this is how things work and now empowering people with a better language I yeah. think helps in tremendous ways. Right. And let's think about all the other choices that husband had in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like they're decompressing from the day. They're going to maybe Netflix and chill. But his job is not to increase blood flow to anyone's genitals. His right. job, if he wants sexy times to happen, is to create a context that makes it easy for the accelerator to be stimulated and for the brakes to go away. Right. And the best way to know how to do that for your partner is to ask them. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> I know. And I like talking about sex is different from talking about other sensitive topics. Like mm-hmm. talking about raising your kids is difficult. Talking about money is difficult. Talking about how you spend your time with other people. that Those are all big, difficult conversations. But man, one of the things I integrated more into the new Come As You Are is honoring how difficult these conversations truly can be right? because everybody was raised with some kind of script yep. about who they're supposed to be yep. as a sexual person. And almost all of it is um, incompatible with a happy, healthy, long-term sexual connection, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we take like the masculinity script, which uh, I call it human winner syndrome, Okay. Where if on the day you're born, people look at your genitals and go, it's a boy. Then they raise you according to this set of rules about which emotions you're allowed to express and how you're allowed to express them. So you can have angry. It's a boy. You're allowed to have angry. You can have winning and you have horny. But you're not really allowed to have lonely. Right. For example. Right. Or hurt or sad. And so recognizing that, like, I need to be able to talk to my partner about how lonely I feel when they say no 
Like when I try to initiate sex and they say no, it's not just that they're saying no to sex. It really feels like they're saying no to my whole personhood. Right. Because it's an incredibly vulnerable thing to do. Right. So talking about sex requires betraying all the rules you were ever taught about who you're supposed to be <laughs> as a person. When I say like the best thing to do is talk about it, I want to honor the fact that it actually does require relearning how to be a person in connection with another person. And for the it's a girl type people, you're taught that you have a moral obligation to be pretty, to be happy and calm and generous and attentive to the needs of others. And if your partner asks you for a sex and you're like, I really don't feel like it right now. I'm no, not uh. right. You have all this like pain from saying no. And like, if your partner keeps asking and keeps asking, eventually you will just say yes, because saying yes hurts less than trying to protect your no. Like, these are not great dynamics for a long-term sexual connection. Right. Right. Because they become oppressive. They become, I mean, majorly, almost shameful in in how we can internalize and interpret it and and attach the meaning to it, right? Yes. Yes. The shame women feel around their bodies mm-hmm. and the shame men feel, I mean, you're more of an expert in the, in the guy part than <laughs> I am, but in my experience, the shame that men feel around really vulnerable emotions like loneliness and grief, mm-hmm. sadness, isolation. I went, I uh, was a guest speaker at a big like conference thing full of people. It was like a relationship weekend long relationship thing in a beautiful resort and I was doing a Q&A with a bunch of heterosexual monogamous couples. And <laughs> we got into a conversation about porn. And I said the thing I say, which is that porn itself um, is, is not the difficult part. It is your relationship with it. Because if you're turning to porn instead uh, to right. avoid right. a conversation with your partner or because you don't feel like you're allowed to have a conversation with your partner, that, the dangerous part there is you're feeling like you can't have the conversation with your partner. Porn is just like filling in the gap right. that's created by your inability to connect with your partner. Right. And they like they had a really hard time. They had a really hard time. When I said that, a bunch of guys stood up and talked about how they had recovered from their porn addiction by having conversations with their partner. Okay. Which is how you solve the difficulties. Right. Because, I mean, you know, in any long-term relationship, I'm talking about long-term relationships a lot right now because the book I'm currently writing is about sustaining a sexual connection over multiple decades. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so I'm thinking about sex and long-term relationships a lot and it's just normal in a long-term relationship that some gunk is going to accumulate some frustrations about like daily chores and like the tiny little like movement of a person's eye that you experience as like, oh, there's something going on there and they're not talking about it. And I feel like I can't talk about it, but now it's this thing that's in me and it like calcifies and grows and turns into like this thing that blocks your connection together. And my very first clinical supervisor, when I was getting my master's degree in counseling, called it cleaning out the pipes. 
Okay. Sometimes you have to have the kind of fight where like you just like get it all out. You flush the system so that you can come back to each other without all that stuff blocking it. That's normal. Right. That's not a sign that anything is going wrong in the relationship. And all that stuff that's blocking up your connection, is that likely to be the kind of thing that activates the accelerator? <laughs> Right? No. Right. You're like little, like the cumulative resentments over like, why am I always the one who has to let the dog out? Why yep. am I always the one who has to let the dog out? Why won't my partner ever? So like every time it happens and it happens every day, yep. it builds up. And that frustration is, is not going to activate the accelerator. Right. Right. Those are all things. I mean, that's that's where I kind of landed on this idea that when you're talking about long-term committed relationships, I fully believe marriage is designed to help us grow up. It's a mechanism to challenge us to clean out things and deal with it and be more evolved is a word that comes to mind, but it's refined actually, I think is a better way to think about it. Of I like to think about it because I feel that way about my marriage, certainly, that the role of my marriage in my life, no, my role in my marriage is to be as good a me as I'm capable of being. Mm-hmm on any given day. Mm -hmm. And it makes me better. I become more myself and more who I am. And the more I do that, the fewer obstacles I let live between me and my partner, the more I help him to be the best version of himself. Yeah, And it's, ah, for me, I find that experience to be sexy. Yeah. Like, holy crap, he has grown so much as a person in the last, we've been together for 11 years now, which I know is not long by a lot of people's lights. But hey, like, 11, if you had asked uh, me when I was 25, if I would ever be in a relationship for 11 years in a row, right? I'd have been like, uh, I don't know. Girl, 11 is no joke. That's the, the the shine has worn off for certain by 11. So you're, you're into and it. And here's the weird thing is like, he's shinier to me now than ever. Mm-hmm. Because I can see the ways he has, like, I fell in love with him real fast. But because I have seen seen the way he has grown as a person, some of which I know I've facilitated, like I made it easier Mm -hmm. for him to grow that way. Like, talk about things that activate the accelerator. Right. Like, he has grown and is so impressive. Yeah, and that's the stuff that we don't look at real cleanly a lot of times, right? That's that stuff that when you're talking about the buildup that can happen— um, I hold that against them rather than recognizing at the same time, I've got the data to be able to look at who they were versus who they are. Right. I mean, that's, I, I think of it, I mean, because my wife, Pam and I are coming up on 30 years next year in 2023. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. I mean, 30 years. Holy crap. That's a ton of time to think about. But it also is when like, man, that's a lot of, of mileage together. And, and so that can be one of those things that it's like, I see who we are now. I see who I am. I see who she is. That I can lose sight of the fact that that's really impressive and how we have evolved and challenged each other in a lot of ways. And when right. I can because re- you have also irritated each other. <clears throat> that comes. That's part of the process. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, but that's it, the grit that makes the pearl. Absolutely. So when you can look at it though, it's just as a reminder of, oh yeah, that's right. Because I think of, you know, if something ever happened by tragedy or, or choice, even that I. The idea of starting over, uh-uh, that does not sound appealing because it's like, oh, we've put in so much work. <laughs> yeah. And that's, so when a relationship is difficult, 
when it's a source of stress, when the relationship itself hits the brakes, that's going to interfere with your mm -hmm. sexual connection with that person. And so like out in the world, if you meet something, meet a person with whom you have not yet had enough time to develop a bunch of stuff that hits the brakes, it's going to feel like that relationship really activates the accelerator so much more than this relationship does. Right. When in reality, it's just that that relationship does not yet hit your brakes. Right. There's not enough data in there to really activate that's this the turnoff, that's the frustration, that's the yeah. resentment creating components. Given enough time, that yep. person definitely will. <laughs> yeah, because I guarantee you they won't let the dog out or whatever the metaphor actually fits. Or whatever the thing is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they won't do something that you want them to be doing that Yes. Why do you leave the recycling in the kitchen sink? Why? <laughs> <laughs> now you're speaking everybody's language here, Emily, because there's every, <laughs> I think everybody relates to, oh, really, it's like a two-foot move from the kitchen counter to the dishwasher how is that the longest like, two feet that in the world i don't get it it's not that difficult and if you have kids and you have that same critique of your kids and then your partner's in the same category as your kids that is that is not a sex related stimulus <laughs> no, that's there's a huge break right there <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah all right so but these conversations are difficult absolutely and they and, but they're also so needed because when you're talking about a long-term relationship, we either have one of two things, I think, that are choices. One is we just get to a level of depth that we're never going to go beyond because it's just the roommate syndrome. It's the playing the roles. It's playing house. It's coexisting. It's whatever label you want to put. Or we face these conversations to really go deeper and move through them. Yes. So that's, I mean, it's really, we don't have very many choices. So it's just which one do you choose? Yeah. And there are, it's, it's so scary to like pick up a tool and start digging to go deeper. Mm -hmm. and, and we worry about how our partner will respond if we're like, I would like to dig deeper into this. Mm -hmm. um, so I, one of the things that I also include in the new Come As You Are is the ways that we respond to our partner's initiation, not just of sex, but of conversations around sexuality is really important because our, we are afraid just as much as our partners are afraid of being judged, of being shamed, of having a part. Like if we talk about a fantasy we have that we'd like to try right. out in a relationship, it's a huge vulnerable risk to be like, I have this fantasy and I'd like to try it with you. And it's a possibility that your partner might hear it and go, mm -hmm. and just be horrified. And that's not going to, that's not. Right. That is another wall that gets sent up. It's going to hit the brakes. So you set up the conversation to be like, I want to talk to you about this sexual thing because I love our erotic connection. and I want to take it to an extra level. I think that we could really experience something. Right. Very pleasurable for both of us if right. we try this. Right. And I'm still worried that when I say it, you're going to be really surprised or maybe even shocked. So what I'd like to ask is, can we, I'm going to say the thing, and then we just like take 10, 20 seconds to breathe and keep our faces neutral and allow the moment to happen so that neither of us says anything that isn't really right. how we feel, but it's just right. a gut reaction. Right. And you can receive this information from your partner. You can receive their stuff, recognizing that you would not want them to go, Ugh. Right. 
if you said something, so you're going to, even though like we have all been trained from very early on to have a sense of like, this is good, this is bad, this is normal, this is wrong. Right. And all of those are just like made up barriers. Right. Uh, I have a, my definition of normal sex is uh, it's any sex that all the people involved are glad to be there and free to leave with no unwanted consequences. Plus, no one's experiencing unwanted pain. Okay. So whatever your partner says, as long as it includes everybody's glad to be there, free to leave, and only wanted pain if there's pain involved, then there's no need to be worried. Right. I mean, at least to have the conversations about it, to it, the invitations towards it, the working towards it. That Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And you may still be a no for yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. But you can be a no without... Judging your partner or making your partner feel judged. Right. Yeah. You can be a no without shots fired as you walk out the room. Yeah. It can just be like a neutral, non-judgmental. That's not for me. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, but that's also just a a great example of the fear that comes with growing because those kinds of things Mm. are unilateral. Those moves are, you know, you can't, you can't put that genie back in the bottle when you say whatever it is, they won't ever unhear that. And so now it's it's layered against. It's oh, part of the relationship wait, once you now, say it out loud. Yeah. So that's the courage move, right? That's the that's the courageous. Yeah. If I want to lead towards that, it takes some courage to yeah. do that because I'm going to disrupt things for both of us. And I think laying a foundation for how to have that conversation makes it makes it so much easier. Yeah. Don't start with the really difficult stuff. Talk about. If you can start by talking explicitly about the things you already like in your erotic connection, that's going to build a foundation of we can talk about this stuff and it doesn't feel scary or difficult. It feels like we can share a positive understanding of what our erotic connection is because people don't even have those conversations of what are the things you like about our sexual connection. Right. Let me tell you all the things I really enjoy about your genitals, right? Right. How often do we have that conversation? I think we should have that conversation at least twice a year with our partner. <laughs> that, and, and it's such, it's one of those, that when you're listening to this, I can already see people going, well, one, I've never had that conversation or God, that, that, yeah, that makes such sense of we're trying to solve some puzzle without knowing the pieces, without getting that data, with not, right. without even taking the first step of emptying them out and sorting through. Yeah. And Like, just picking your favorites. Right. Like, let me just take you to my bookshelf and talk about my favorite books. That's a conversation we know how to have. Mm -hmm. When I think back on our erotic connection, let me tell you about my very favorite things. Right. That's not even including things that are, like, second-tier favorite that I, like, completely adore but are not, like, the peak moments. Right. And I'm, like, it's a complicated experience. Some people, they hear the idea of, like, let my partner spend five minutes telling me all the things they like about my genitals. They'd be like, yes, yeah, that'd be great. And other people would have really ambivalent feelings about it because they have ambivalent feelings about their own body. Mm -hmm. But if there's one efficient way to transform your relationship with your own body, it's to see it through the eyes of someone who loves your body. It's a great statement. Can you hear my cat meowing at me? They she they agree. Yes. Yep. She's like, sing it, Emily. If, if you're talking about a creature that 
is just full on confident in themselves, that would be cats. <laughs> yes. And she's 17 and has never loved herself more. <laughs> what a great depiction of, of what we should aspire to be. <laughs> yeah. Because the sort of the point of a long term relationship is you're going to be there for a lot of change. Right. Which includes the way their body will change, the way their life will change, the way everything their internal world changes. Yep. And when you sign up for that, you are not signing up for your partner to be the person they were on the day you moved in together or got right. married. You're signing up for the changes. You're signing up for the gray hair. You're signing up for mm -hmm. the loss of hair. You're signing up for the changes in body shape and mm -hmm. size. Yeah. That I'm all is extra stuff to love that's like oh right we I can't don't believe it's been 10 years you have so much less hair you're so hot right no that that's one of those it's recognizing that uh, i'm signing up for this struggle but there's a benefit and a value that's going to come with it yeah yeah and i'm just like on a like gender tear today i was i spent the morning writing about it uh i think some people perceive their partner as communicating to the world something about themselves. Like my partner walking around in the world has a particular status or a particular appearance mm -hmm. or a particular number of Twitter followers or whatever. And it says something about me that mm -hmm. that's true about them. Mm -hmm. And if that changes, if they leave Twitter and lose all their followers, does that say something about me now? Right. Like, and so we judge the experiences and changes our partners undergo as being about us. Right. Which are they about us? <laughs> no. No, but we sure like to think they are. We, yes, it is so intuitive to decide, to infer, to react to a change as if it's about us yeah. rather than sustaining a sense of wonder mm -hmm. about our partner. Mm -hmm. That whatever changes they experience, we are still just as freaking lucky. Mm -hmm. today as we were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And if we can look at it, even luckier, because there is an element of, of our improving and refining, as you were describing earlier, of because yeah. whatever it is that's appealing that I'm seeing, man, they who they have become, they're doing the same. Yeah. Right? And that's what I think that's what makes relationships on, long, on a long-term basis so good and so beneficial. Yeah. And we are not talking about, like, spontaneous, hot and horny kind of desire. No. Right now. No. Like, we are talking about a kind of desire that comes from a very deep and emotional sense of connection with a human being. So you may turn up for, like, if you decide to schedule sex mm -hmm. or if it's just sort of the right time, you may not have, like, an erection walking in the door. You might not be turned on as you get there, but you go through that transition process of the you know, trimming your ear hair or whatever the thing is that you do, listening to audio something or changing into particular clothes that mm -hmm. make you feel sexy and you put your body in the bed, you let your skin touch your partner's skin and gradually your brain's going to go, oh, right. Right. This person. Right. This magical, delightful, wonderful person. Right. And a lot of people worry that if they don't have the hot and heavy spontaneous desire, that there's something wrong. Right. That that change away from hot and heavy horny is a worsening, that there's something worse about right. the responsive desire where you're like, oh, oh, right. 
this is a this was a really good idea. Right. I'm glad we are here now. Right. That's actually the couples who sustain a strong sexual connection over decades. Responsive desire is how they experience desire most of the time. Mm-hmm. They don't report high rates of spontaneous desire. Like they're not like super horny for each other. Can't wait to put their tongues in each other's mouths. They appreciate their partner and they decide that it matters for their relationship. Mm-hmm. That they stop all the other things they could be doing, right? right? Like we have other right. things. We have jobs. We have kids. Right. We have pets. We Like we are busy. Right. So why would we stop doing all those things, close the door, and just spend time doing this, frankly, very silly thing that humans do? Why why would we do that? Right. Because people have decided that it matters for their connection, Mm -hmm. that they take time away from the rest of their lives, turn toward each other. And that only happens when it matters, if like if it matters to you, which yeah. it doesn't matter for everyone. Some people decide that it does not matter for yep. them. And groovy, do yep. you. But the couples who sustain a strong sexual connection are the ones for whom they figure out what it contributes to their overall relationship and thus to their overall lives together. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the challenge and journey we're on. And that's the challenge and journey that um, I'm loving how you've gone through and updated things to help articulate that even more. And I'm also excited you're teasing out a new book here that you're talking about. So uh, I'm excited about that. So Emily, tell people how they can find you if they want to hear more and know whenever this new work comes out. Yeah. Uh, so the the book, you can get Come As You Are anywhere books are sold in any format. Uh, there is a new podcast coming out, the Come As You Are podcast on the Pushkin Network. And of course, I have a newsletter. So if you're like, I want to find out when the new book about long-term relationships is coming out, go to my website, emilynagoski.com, sign up for newsletter, and you'll get all the updates. Perfect. Well, Emily, thank you so much for your work, uh, for joining me here today. And I'm, I'm glad we got to spend the whole time together. Rather than segmenting this out, let's just do the whole thing like we did. So <laughs> this has been so fantastic. Thank you so much. My favorite thing to talk about. Thank you. One of the things that stands out to me about this journey of doing this podcast and this show for for the 12 years now is the consistent opportunities I get to interact with those that are helping shape the mental health and the marriage and the sex field. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of really good resources out there. And one of the things I love being able to do with you, babe, is... Mm -hmm. We get to, in some instances, like today's episode, just be concierges of that information. Yeah. We just yeah. help present it to people because it's beneficial and it'll help them. Yeah, be a conduit to share it because some people, well, I don't know. You just never know how it's going to touch someone. Absolutely. But I also love the idea that we're still learning. And Always. so when we get a chance to get in interactions with other people that are helping shape the field, let's take advantage of that. Exactly. <laughs> it's a exact it's a successful day if I learned something that day. So Absolutely. Thank you for helping me learn something. And so we hope that it was a successful day for you today too. And so transcripts are available of each of the episodes pages at passionatelymarried.net as well as all the advertisers deals and discount codes you can find them at passionatelymarried.net. So please consider supporting those who support the show. So however you took a little bit of time out this Thanksgiving week here in the States to spend with us or whenever you're listening to this, uh, we are so grateful that you take the time to spend with us and we can't wait to see you again next time. <laughs>